I'm Chimzy. And I'm Hazel. And you're listening to the People to People podcast. In which we explore the unique partnership between Scotland, where I'm from. And Malawi, where I'm from. And we read out your feedback and comments, which we very much encourage. In the last two episodes, we had a conversation about decolonization, And in this episode, we want to talk to a Malawi NGO, the Bupesi Pride Foundation. We have Richard Bennett, the founder and CEO, and Nohara Chinguo, who is the executive director. And it's worth saying Richard and Nohara were in their car when they were doing this video call with us. In Lilongwe, just right outside Lilongwe City Mall. Babesi Pride Foundation is an NGO that uses sport, including rugby, in Malawi to engage and support life skills with young people. They are members of the Scotland-Malawi Partnership and on the website there is a list of BPS international partners. There's quite a few rugby-specific ones and it includes the Scottish charity the Bill McLaren Foundation, but also Norton Rose Fulbright, the Atlas Foundation, the Savile Foundation, Mercury Phoenix Trust and several others. But that was something that we asked about because we're interested in partnerships on the podcast. What did you particularly enjoy about this chat, Chimsy? Do you remember? Yes. So I think for me, I really enjoyed the fact that they were bringing a very different sport to Malawi. So rugby is not something that I grew up watching, nor would I think it's a sport that, you know, people play in Malawi. But, you know, it's usually football or netball um, and a little bit of volleyball. But rugby seemed like a very cool and alien concept to bring to Malawi. So I really enjoyed that aspect of the conversation. Bobesi Pride Foundation is a a local NGO here in Malawi that seeks to equip uh, young people with knowledge, skills and experiences so that they should be able to rise above their challenges. Basically what we're doing in simple terms is youth development We're using a very unique model, what we're calling sports for development, whereby we use sports. In this case, we're using rugby and netball to empower or to develop young people here in Malawi. One of the highlights for our work is that we have a community center. That sounds great, but why why rugby? Rugby and Malawi, I would just never put them together. Like, I understand the netball part, but rugby? I think that, just that question there, that why rugby? Why not rugby? That's the point. Why should we go for the basics, football? You know, the values that are embedded within rugby also speak out to us as an organization. When we look at discipline, integrity, those are some of the values that we also have as an organization. But not only that, I think another thing that you should also note, when we had the Region 5 Youth Games last year, some of these sports like rugby, we were not able to produce any athletes. On the podcast, we look at partnerships between Scotland and Malawi. Um, What was it like from the planning stages to build up partnership with like the local communities in Malawi and bringing them the idea of rugby. So I'll, I'll speak briefly to the first kind of eight or nine years and then I'll hand over to Nahara because this is an ongoing process, community engagement and ensuring there is continued interest and most importantly an understanding that why, that so what, what's the reason for us trying to promote rugby or netball and engage young people, coaches, teachers, community leaders in the sport. You know, for me, having grown up in South Africa, moving to the UK, always having loved sport, I got into teaching and I could really see, you know, the power of sport. When I had this crazy idea to drive through Africa and share a, a, a love of rugby with other people, interestingly here in Malawi, 
Um, and certainly the rural communities that we work with, just about 25 kilometers northwest of the capital, there'd never been rugby before, you know, and certainly access to sport is really difficult. Access to key resources, funding, facilities, equipment, coaching. So in those early stages, it wasn't just a case of introducing rugby and getting boys and girls involved in fun games. And by the way, we've typically always used non-contact rugby, so touch or tag. It's more accessible for more young people and it's a lot safer. We went through that process of introducing, developing the sport, providing access for young people through our volunteer programs. But what we found particularly special with Malawi and the communities that we work with in TM, Tema, Mzumanzi, Mungwangwa area is the communities, the young people, and more and more the teachers were just so excited at the prospect of engaging young people in sporting activities. Through the years, 2015, 16, 17, and that was the point at which we registered the NGO here, we saw that there was increasing potential. We employed a local coordinator to um, deliver outreach programming, and that was when we embarked on the whole process of starting a master plan, purchasing a plot of land, and starting on the process of building our community center. Obviously, the pandemic, certainly for us, was, was a huge challenge. 2020 and 2021 were very, very difficult for us. But I think at this point, I'll hand over to Nahara, who joined us in early 2022. Yeah, thank you very much, Richard. In terms of partnerships, how we're working with others here in the country, just this past few months, we've been able to engage the government as well. Our sports for development programs are really great, but then how can they be integrated within the system so that they're able to achieve a whole lot more and not just at a small level where we are in the communities? So at the moment, we have been able to develop three programs. The first one is what we're calling the Clubs for Development, whereby every year we're targeting not less than 200 young people aged 10 to 25. And these will be engaged as netball and rugby players. They will not just be receiving sports skills, but they'll also be receiving life skills, social emotional learning skills. So one of our targets here is that we should be able to support young people with overcoming their mental health challenges. A very important issue in the country, something that is really burning at the moment. And we are also looking at sexual reproductive health rights, inclusivity. One of the things we are seeing is how can we engage young people with disabilities more in sports activities? So we are currently looking forward to working with the Malawi Rugby Union as well as uh, Special Olympics in the country. And on the other side, we also have um, what we're calling the Achinyamata Tigambilani Project, which means Youth Discuss. Mm -hmm. So this is a project whereby we want to establish or adopt youth clubs in schools as well as in communities so that young people should come together, discuss um, comprehensive sexuality education, discuss some of their sexual reproductive health rights, with the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the challenges was that the health sector was heavily embedded into COVID-19. So HIV, um, sexually transmitted infections were completely forgotten, even teenage pregnancies. And if you look at all these programs, we are not working alone. We are basically working with other partners who can support us. Looking to the future, I think one of the things we are looking at is how we can engage more partners so that we are able to support our sports for development programs. Just to build on Nahora's last point there, what we're finding is really important as we move forward is, you know, that whole piece on partnerships and you talk about equity and ensuring that there is shared understanding of what we're trying to achieve. We're an ambitious organization, but we want to stay within our lane in terms of ensuring that we 
continually work towards achieving our impact goal. For us, that working with partners who can help us achieve that is really important, but we're really focused on the goals that are driven by the needs of the community. Can I ask about the power structure in your organisation then? Is there ever a situation when you're saying what a partner would like to hear when it's not the truth? I think you mentioned that you had registered the company in Malawi. So is that part of a process of creating a power structure that is evolving to reflect that there is going to be a shift or we hope there's going to be a shift in Western-led organisation benefiting people in Malawi like we want it to be Malawian-led organisation benefiting people in Malawi with a supportive partner? So, Hazel, honestly, it's such a good question and I'm really, really keen because Nahar and I have been speaking about this a lot recently. It's a live theme for us Um, and I think it's probably worth us speaking to the, the future as we look ahead to the future and what we feel is most appropriate for a youth-led organization here in, in Malawi is setting and achieving its own strategy, something that we work together on uh, in the latter stages of 2022 and, and that we're implementing now. We are really conscious of the risks we're exposed to, whether it's working with partners in the UK or international partners who have that certain expectations or perhaps have preconceptions maybe about how Funding needs to be utilised, using that term, on the ground. What's important as we move forward is that this organisation, BPF Malawi, is led by Naharu, who sits next to me and supported by a board, which is ultimately a Malawi-led organisation. This is a challenging concept. What what does good look like for you, building on my comments and, and Hazel's question as we look ahead to the future? I think at the moment, structurally, we really, there isn't that power imbalance. We do have an executive team that is wholly Malawian and a board that is also Malawian. So it's basically a Malawian-led team. The biggest challenge that we have right now is that we're heavily dependent on outside partners. We do not have an ability to resource ourselves. So that is the biggest challenge. Because one of the questions we've been asking ourselves as an organization is this, is if we are unable to source our own funding, our own income streams, what if our partners at the end of the day decide to stop funding us? So what if they are unable to fundraise on our behalf? So I think that's where the big risk is for us. So good for us looks like a situation whereby we are able to resource the Malawian team here, the Malawi organization is able to resource itself. Have you had any time where a partner has come to you, you know, let's say financially with a lot of money, but it's just not been in alignment with your goals at all? Um, I don't think... We've had a situation where it's been as extreme as that. But what we have found is that there have been situations, you know, we had some funding for a specific program modality, but we had to very much in partnership and in collaboration with, I have to say, a very supportive UK-based donor to adapt that program. The idea was that the program should be led in such a way it should be technologically savvy, whereby young people are using tablets in schools to share sexual reproductive health rights information, which is really great and it's really future looking. But the biggest challenge with that was at the moment, the last statistics had us at almost 14% access to internet. So now the question is, you bring in these tablets, you bring in these technological savvy resources, how are these young people going to use it? 
the partner also said that the most important thing is the end goal, making sure that young people have access to this information. So what works for our Malayan context? So what works is either getting the young people involved in these sports activities or bringing them together in these youth clubs whereby they can discuss these issues. So I think that can really be an example whereby we faced that challenge, but I think we're able to collaboratively um, overcome it and still implement a perfect program that is contextualized. Yeah. One of the things I'm very interested in talking about in this season is sport and gender. So I grew up in Malawi, but didn't really play a lot of sport because girls just didn't do that. Uh, but now I'm such a big fan of sport. I think it can transform your life massively. So how do you promote gender equality? Or if you have any statistics on how many girls or boys attend um BPF, and if there's fewer girls, how do you make sure you promote that in the local communities? We ensure that it's 50% gendered. So that is 50% male, 50% female. In the next few weeks, we'll be having an activity for our Kinyamatati Kambilane project, whereby we are targeting 60 young girls. So we also have a platform whereby we just want to bring the young girls together so that they can discuss these issues that are affecting them. And in addition to that, I think what's Important to note is uh, in terms of developing community leaders, coaches within our programs as well, the split also is 50-50. There is a a really important theme that needs to run through there whereby young people are looking up to role models that they can relate to. One of the issues that we have seen statistically and um, from our experiences is that young girls face abuse whether they are taking part in these programs or whether they are outside the programs within their communities. So that's one of the issues that we are really trying to address because when there is a potential for abuse or harassment, we are looking at how best can we create a situation whereby we have safe environments and these young people freely come in to take part in these programs. When we were just starting a few of these programs, we could see that the young people did not have access to menstrual hygiene. And now in our programs, we ensure that Whenever we have these sports programs, we have sanitary pads that these young people can access. These are just some of the challenges that we are also trying to address as we deliver our programs. One final question, Hazel. So uh, I don't know if you can both talk about how people can get involved. So I see from your website you can get involved as a solo person on one of your expeditions or as a group. We have some web updates to be done. Typically what we've done before is we've had these expeditions which have obviously given people the opportunity to travel through Africa and work with different communities in different African countries. As we look ahead to the future and considering the options post-COVID, yeah, we're going through the process at the moment of reviewing our volunteer framework, our group visit framework, and how that can work. And we'll look at that whole side of things for individuals. But more broadly, our hope and aspiration following three visits that we're hosting this month and next with two school visits and and this other adult coaching group that I mentioned, we're reviewing that whole concept of a volunteer framework, what the itineraries need to look like, you know, how we ensure a real balance in terms of when working with the community here, we're working together. It's a collaboration. We're learning and sharing from one another. So we're reviewing that, but yeah, certainly open as we look ahead to the future to welcoming schools and working with the likes of the Scotland Malawi partnership and tour operator Orbis who's helping us to facilitate the logistics of these of these types of visits um, school groups university groups 
sports clubs, of course, business groups. Yeah, right now, as, as Richard said, people can support through volunteering. We are very, very much open to that. People who have skills, sports skills, people who have been able to develop sports clubs, people who have experience in sports for development, they can ably volunteer and support our work. But also not only, we're also looking at gaining more funders. One of our challenges is just that, being able to mobilize resources. So if there are any supporters out there who can be able to support us in that way, that's that's what we're also looking at. As well as transport, we our center is out, away, far away from town, 25 kilometers away, and it's in rural roads. So I believe, teams you have an experience mm-hmm. of how that is. So it's way off, off site, and definitely we do need some of those support. So if there are supporters out there who would want to donate a few vehicles, off-road vehicles for us, that would really go a long way in our work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and funding towards supporting our pro- development of our programs and also um, improving different aspects of our site, whether it's resurfacing our netball court. You know, we've got an amazing solar system on the site, but we could do with a couple more batteries just to optimize the system. The tanks develop holes and split lines, the water tanks, that is. It's a constant process to maintain what is becoming just this fantastic playing surface. Um, but we have termites and we... I might come and visit you guys next time I'm in Malawi. Yeah, we should, yeah. I have no skills with rugby or netball, but I'm happy to participate. <laughs> Looking forward to that. You're most welcome. <laughs> and where, where do you see BPF in, let's say, five to I ten years? I think um, in five to ten years, BPF <laughs> will become um, a leader in sports for development in the country because one of the things we want to become is to become a know-it-all when it comes to sports for development in the country. We want sports for development contextualized for the Malawian context and for the Malawian people, for the Malawian society. So our idea is just that, how far can we go with sports for development? So the more people that are impacted with sports for development, that's where we want to take BPF to. Yeah. One of the things we always say as, as a disclaimer, sports is not our initial um, target, but our teams are very, really, really, really good at sports. We have been able to produce some few athletes for the national teams, but um, it's not our goal at the end of the day. It's been really good to speak to you both. Thank you so much for your time. What does the rest of the day have in store for you? Uh, meetings and more meetings. No yeah. sport? Yeah. <laughs> what? No sport today. Sport for today. Yeah. Not today, yeah. Although there is... Yeah, there the is a, the yeah. activities at the side, but for us... The rest of us in the office, we're just officers. It's very rare that we go outside and have some time to play. Yeah. I thought you guys would just be off for a game, no? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm saying, I've been saying to Nahari, he needs to spend more time on the pitch. <laughs> I was listening to them and I was hearing whether it's because that's what I wanted to hear or not that they were really opening their minds to change in how it works and making visits perhaps more meaningful and thinking of them in a different way and I like to hear that that's what I liked hearing about Mm. yeah I think we spoke about this yesterday the the flying part and how their business strategy is based on having people from Western countries go over to volunteer. Is is that is that sustainable? We didn't go into huge big depth about it. Partly I think I shied away from that and I, I regret that because 
I'm just shying away from slightly uncomfortable conversations and people are so enthusiastic and they're telling me all the good it's doing and who am I to criticize right but I think it is worth the thought it's like are you by expending you know tons and tons of carbon and a lot of money on air travel causing more harm or more good by what you bring I think that that's like a really valid question at the moment, understanding what we know about the climate and the devastating impacts of that. But I also can see this kind of connection that we've got being such a valuable thing you don't want to lose. And it isn't the same as just flying for the sheer fun of it because it's cheaper to go on holiday somewhere for a weekend. It's a more meaningful connection that people are making. It sounds a little bit like you're changing your mind or are you saying these two can exist alongside each other? Like people are able to fly despite the um, negative impacts it has on the environment and the climate, but the positive impact it has on the local community. I'm trying to see how everybody's coming at it from all the different angles. My heart is still in the we really should not fly unless it's absolutely necessary camp. But I also think in projects and in the relationship between Scotland and Malawi, there probably is going to be situations where it will do more good than harm to fly because of what can be brought through that relationship being positive. So it's not black and white, is it? No. Okay. So if it were up to you, how would you then change their strategy? That still meant they had a positive impact on the local community. But if you were to take away the flying aspect, what would that look like? I don't know. Honestly. If it's zoomed in and you look at it that way... I see I see the problem, but I think if you zoom out and look at it on like a bigger scale, like you just said, I understand what it is that they're trying to do. But also I understand where you're coming from with flying. Where do I stand? Honestly, I don't know. Now, we know that's not the only issue around volunteering and tourism, but we're wondering about doing a whole separate episode on that to really try and get our heads around it. So if you have suggestions for that episode or guests or things that we can read in our research, please do get in touch. So we had a comment from somebody who was listening to the podcast before it goes out. We always have a little group that listen to it just to check it from lots of different perspectives before we publish anything. And there was a bit of discussion about the word expedition that was used. And this was something that was new to me. And Chimsy, how about you? Have you heard about expedition being a problematic word before? I have not. And this was also my first time. What was explained to us was that expedition might be associated with colonial ideas of going somewhere to be extractive. What did he say? So expeditions were often in search of natural resources to be mapped and exploited by colonial power. So expeditions were also used by the colonial power by deploying military expeditions. So that was to subdue resistance and uprisings within colonial territories. Some post-colonial literature has quite a bit to say about expeditions and how they help the coloniser exploit colonies. And there's also a feminist critique of expeditions as there seem to be some masculine endeavours. 
typically run by men to conquer nature and hostile environments. I'm also thinking, what word would you use instead of expedition? Journey? Adventure? It doesn't carry the same meaning, does it? Okay, expand that a little bit though. So what is an expedition? I think expeditions are like this new discovery things. So my dad used to go on expeditions, like plant collecting. Uh-huh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, but is it? Like, sorry, dad, but getting <laughs> stuff. There's something useful in an exchange of learning and knowledge. So you could go on an expedition that would be really harmless. I'm just going to look up what the actual definition of expedition is. An adventure is definitely more harmless than an expedition. So according to Google, an expedition is a journey undertaken by a group of people with a particular purpose, especially that of exploration, research or war. Yeah. Does it matter how we've been using it and seeing it if other people are telling us that there are sensitivities towards it and that this is seen as uncool by lots of people, maybe we need to just be aware of that, like when we're putting it out and just change and and try and use something else. Yeah, true. But yeah, most definitely. And also, you know, like who wrote that definition in the dictionary that you just read? Was it somebody who wasn't aware of all of the sensitivities that it might have? And the people who are sensitive about this word they didn't have a voice in the say of writing of the dictionary so maybe we we need to have a wee rethink about that actually yeah now I don't know if I would use the word expedition Mm -hmm. but that's just me I think that what's interesting here is that we're talking about the word is the detail right that's like the tiny detail but actually the link is into a big more philosophical discussion about why we travel, how we travel, what attitude we go with, what the history of that is, what the Mm. sensitivities are around that. Yeah. Wait, I'm just trying to see similar words to expedition. Odyssey? Would you use that? No, I've never used that. (laughs) Well, it means a long and eventful or adventurous journey or experience. I don't want one of those. I'm tired. I've got a lot going on in my life. (laughs) (sighs) There's always trends in different languages and words, and it's one way of helping us shape our ideas. It's humanity. Let's get on board with that, Chimsy. I am. So we'd love you to join us for our next episode. It's with Matthew and Kath Aitken from Ochengage Farm in Dumfries in Scotland and Charles Chavi, who is a sugarcane farmer in Malawi but also very involved in fair trade so we're going to have a discussion about fair trade and his community and his cooperative. The hydro was a, a brilliant diversification farm diversification for us because as I said half of our income is from that now. I saw the hydro myself I was impressed. <laughs> The People to People podcast is independently produced by us, Chimsy Dory and Hazel Darwin Clements, but was commissioned by the Scotland Malawi Partnership. To play us out today, we've got the kind permission from an artist called Twanda, and this is a song from the album African Love Story. It's called Gold, and there is a link to it in our show notes. And it was suggested by Mtamini Katusa. We love to get music suggestions, so please keep them coming. Sister Mary 
Dancing to the sound of my 